Texas Business Minds, a presentation of the Texas Business Journals, brought to you by Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping companies build a stronger, safer Texas. In this episode, Dallas Business Journal Managing Editor Rob Schneider welcomes Joel Bynes, Managing Director at Dallas consulting firm Alex Partners. Bynes co-leads the global retail practice and is the author of The Me-Tail Economy, offering the six C's to thrive in a me-centric consumer revolution. So tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what brought you to Dallas. Well, that's a very short answer, which is my wife brought me to Dallas. She grew up in a small town a couple hours west called Breckenridge, Texas. We met in college in Maine lived away for several years and moved to Dallas in 1999. So uh, what brought you to write this book, The Retail Economy? Well, I have been working with consumers my entire career, uh, really even during summer jobs all the way back to high school. Everything I've done has been consumer facing and post-college entirely in the retail and consumer space. And so if you go all the way back to my my high school days, that's over 40 years of working with consumers. And what I began to observe is consumers started behaving differently about a decade ago. And by differently, I just mean that the tactics that people used to attract and develop relationships with consumers, to market to consumers, to drive sales and so forth, they stopped working as effectively and in some cases stopped working entirely. And so I just began thinking about that question. And then, as I say in my book, I had an aha moment on a family vacation in Peru. I don't want to spoil the part of the book because I think it's a pretty funny story. And I realized what it was that had changed. And so then I started doing a bunch of research. I started testing it with people that I liked and respected. And all of the feedback came back fairly positive. And so I began the process of thinking about writing a book and then ultimately writing the book. That process from beginning to end was probably about three and a half years. Oh, wow. And so, because that's the other thing I wanted to ask you about is uh, where was the book heading in 2018 versus uh, where the book headed when the pandemic hit? That's a really interesting question. So the short answer to the question is exactly in the same place, Hmm. because what I am writing about is a true revolution in the relationship between businesses and consumers. And People that have been in the retail and consumer business space for a long time, they will be familiar with the word revolution. But my position is that all of the changes that people have been talking about have just been disruptions, new business models, new ways of doing things, use of technology to do the same thing you did before the technology was introduced. So to me, those are disruptions, not revolutions. What I argue for in my book is that we have now been through a full revolution. And what I mean by that is there is a power dynamic that exists between businesses and consumers. And for millennia, the businesses had the power. They had the power to make determinations about what they sold to whom, where, for how much, and so forth. And what we have now is we have a situation where that power has inverted completely. I refer to it as the the total democratization of consumption. And so the consumers look to one another much, much more than they look to the businesses that are serving them. 
That's a fundamental revolution for anybody that's in the business of serving consumers. That's the premise of Metail. Basically, I say the consumers have fragmented into smaller and smaller groups all the way down to what I refer to as a me, which is, of course, the play on retail uh, with the title of the book being Metail. So your book, The Metail Economy, uh, it talks about strategies for transforming businesses to thrive in this new era. So we're going to go through that. But first, I think it's probably a little instructive to talk about what was happening in retail 20 years ago, but really, you know, so retail was was completely something different 25 years ago, 30 years ago, mm-hmm. then the internet came and, and mm-hmm. kind of walk us through that to where, where you're going with this book. Well, so if you want to go back sort of before the introduction of e-commerce, which is really the, the other way of saying the internet, what you had, of course, was a lot of physical friction for consumers if they wanted to do any sort of price comparison. They had, had to actually physically go from one brick-and-mortar store to another brick-and-mortar store. They had to lay all the circulars out on Sunday morning and just look who had the best price on what. The internet came along and made it a lot easier for consumers to compare prices and to, to shop among various sites. But it didn't change anything fundamental about the relationship between businesses and consumers. E-commerce was really just commerce. It was just existing online. But when you add the introduction of these technologies that began to eliminate friction to the incredible explosion of the social media platforms that enabled consumers to become their own mouthpieces, to become their own places of information, those two things combined created a situation where it was the consumer influencers. And I'm not talking about Kim Kardashian. I'm talking about just the people that are giving reviews on the various websites, the people who are connecting with one another, the people who are using Substack to start newsletters about some product that they love or some service that they love. Those people have become the new experts that consumers turn to. And so that's the change. The change is that the companies themselves were, and and I I, um, say in the book, are for the most part, continuing to think that they have the power in this relationship. And hopefully after they read the book, they realize not only that they don't have the power, but what what the implications are. And if you'll indulge me for just another minute or two, the title of the book talks about six strategies. That's that's because publishers like to have grandiose titles, <laughs> you know. So um, that what what I say in the book very clearly is th- these are ingredients in a recipe for creating relationships with the new me centric consumer. So the book is a business book, but it's not a traditional business book in the sense that I don't provide anyone the answers. This is a book that through, I think, amusing and interesting anecdotes, some history about the retail economy and some fun stories kind of helps people understand what I'm talking about first, then introduces these six C's, which are really just ingredients. And that's what I want everyone to understand is I'm not I'm not telling any one company how they should operate. I'm just saying that these are the six fundamental ways that you can build relationships with consumers in the new retail economy. And just like a recipe you'll make it your own. You'll use a a dash more cost and a dash less convenience or the other way around, or you won't use one of them at all. But you've got to cook your own recipe. I just give you the ingredients. So what's your personal experience with this and how did it help inform this this story? Well, so my career is split roughly equally between roles in industry for consumer companies, operating roles. 
and the last almost 20 years leading the global retail practice at Alex Partners. Alex Partners is a global management consultancy. Retail is our largest practice. And so I've had the opportunity to both work inside of retailers, but also over the last almost 20 years for hundreds of retail businesses. And I've watched them go through this journey together. And then, of course, as I started to come up with the premise for this book, started to use some of the pieces of the book with my clients. And some of it resonated and some of it didn't. But for the most part, uh, for anybody that picks up the book or, or downloads the ebook or whatever, um, you know, the, the retail executives that have read it and, and have commented on it, for the most part, are, are, are fairly, fairly uh, positive about, first of all, the premise and second of all, the implications, which is really all I'm after. I'm just sure. trying to provide a wake-up call for my industry colleagues. Uh, you know, this is a business I've spent my entire life in and intend to spend my entire life in. So it matters to me. Who is your ideal audience for this? That's another great question because I get asked this question by my partners in the firm all the time. You, people are used to consultants writing business books to sell consulting work. Right. I did not write this business book to sell consulting work. And, and most of my colleagues and people that I know at other consulting firms can't understand why. I wrote this book because I felt like this was something worth saying to a group of people, entrepreneurs, all the way up to the CEOs of the largest retail and consumer businesses uh, that get, gave everyone an opportunity to see the consumer landscape the way that I see the consumer landscape. And they may disagree with my premise and they may disagree with the idea of the me and then when I add on my, my uh, discussion about what I call the quantum consumer, which is a consumer that can exist in two places simultaneously, like a particle in quantum physics, and you see the complexity of serving those customers in this new world, um, I'm just hoping that it's a wake-up call. Because you know, as an industry, just in the United States alone, tens of millions of people make their career in the retail and consumer economy. It's a hugely important, it's 80% of GDP, it's an incredibly important industry. And it matters to me that, that we as an industry really understand what's happened with the consumer so that we can have maybe a little less disruption and a little bit more success as an industry. So honestly, it's, it's for, I, I've, had, I've had people that have their own little business out of their living room all the way up to the CEOs of some of the largest companies say to me that this book really resonated with them. So I, I think it's for anybody that is involved with consumers, anybody that thinks about consumers, anyone who makes a living in some aspect of the consumer economy, if you care about how to think about developing relationships with consumers over time, then I think you need to read the retail economy. You're reminding your clients, your executives, that they are not smarter than their customer. And uh, Correct. that seems to really be the premise of all of this. And so like any good book, it has uh, the six C's. So let's go yep. through the six C's real quick and you can spend um, a little bit of time with, with all of them, but the first would be cost. And I think that's probably for, for e-commerce, probably one of the, the biggest driver of any of this, right? Well, yes and no. So let me just, so the six C's, just to run through them very quickly, uh -huh. are cost, convenience, category expertise, customization, curation, and community. And as listeners and then hopefully readers think about these six C's, they will come up with other words, some that start with C, some that don't start with C, that, that you might 
hypothesize also help build relationships with consumers? And my answer to them is, of course. And if you prefer something else, use something else. But I tried to distill it down to six sort of ways of operating a business. So the first one, if you want to focus on cost for just a minute, what you said is exactly right, which is, you know, in the days, in the day of the internet, where people can compare costs very easily, cost is something that a lot of businesses compete on. What I say in the book is it cost means cost. Cost used to mean value, but today cost means cost. And so if you are going to use this C, you have to understand that in order for consumers to believe you in today's day and age, you have to give them multiple proof points. So it's not enough to offer a price match guarantee or anything like that, because that makes the consumer do the work. You need to decide if you're going to be a cost competitor that you need to be the lowest cost for any given item at any given time. And that's extremely difficult to do in today's day and age. And so that's my caution to people. Has cost become a bigger driver during the pandemic or has loyalty gotten back into the fray here in terms of uh, consumer decisions in your mind? I think if you're talking about the early days of the pandemic, uh, it was not cost so much as availability. Right. Uh, so that, so, but, 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 and loyalty was also a function of availability at the time, but loyalty is fleeting. And so, so one of the other things about competing as a cost player is it's, it is a little bit more difficult to compete as for a customer's loyalty because you're basically just appealing to them on that one dimension. The convenience. Let's go through that as well. And how much easier are things in the last, even in the last couple of years? Well, it depends on which retailer or which consumer business you're talking about. But at the highest level, people understand what the word convenience means. But the mistake that I see many consumer businesses making is they forget that convenience means convenient for the customer, not convenient for the business. And the reason they make the mistake is that customer conveniences are generally speaking expensive. They add cost to a business. And, and many, many businesses get right up to the edge of delivering a customer convenience that is a customer convenience, not a business convenience. And then they lose their nerve because of the cost. And then they try to find ways to actually make it cost less which in turn makes it less convenient for the customer, which in my in the book, I basically say, don't bother. So if you're going to compete on convenience as a C, then you need to make sure that it's convenient for the customer. If it so also happens to benefit your business, so much the better. And I give some examples of that in that chapter as well. And certainly the food economy has been something that was radically changed through that. And if you are not able to have e-commerce as a restaurant now, you don't exist basically. And you're a lot better. <laughs> and that, and this is, and that's right. And I, I know this isn't necessarily the biggest thing that you talk about in the book, but I, uh, that that's been my personal experience as well. That You could say that, but then I would, I would offer as a counterpoint, my absolute favorite restaurant in the world, which happens to be a diner in Dallas, Texas called John's cafe. So John's Cafe has been in business for 50 years. It is the best diner in Dallas, hands down. And I'll take anybody's challenge if they want to provide me a different one. They don't do delivery. They never have done delivery. And the place is mobbed all the time during the sure. normal diner time. So, so the, the, you know, the point is, sure, but not always. And it doesn't have to be the case. That 
And that brings us, by the way, that brings us perfectly to the next C, which is category expertise, yeah. right? If, if you are looking for an expert diner owner, you go see John at John's Cafe and now his family that's running it. Mario's been cooking on the griddle for probably 30 years. It's, it is the perfect experience if that's what you're looking for. I grew up in the Northeast. I went to college in Maine. Diners are an important thing to me. So <laughs> finding one in Dallas was really important. And people have offered all their favorites over the years. And I've tried them all. Anyway, the point is, John is an expert. And what John provides is so such ex, so much expertise and such perfection that I don't have to go anywhere else. And I'm willing to uh, drive from my house to his place, which is almost 15 to 20 minutes on so, some days in order to eat there. That's a lot of friction, but he's an expert. And if you think about other experts in the Dallas area, I'll just give you uh, Elliot's hardware, for example. And you think about the experience you have at Elliot's, which I write about in the book, versus the experiences that you have uh, at the big box the big boxes are great for a lot of stuff, but if you really need something that's maybe a little bit off the edge of the the, the, the product spectrum, or you need real expertise, then you go to then you go to Elliot's. So that's what the category expertise chapter is about. For local listeners, we're probably going to need an address on John's Diner and what you would recommend. Let's go ahead and do that. You know, it's so funny. I actually have to look up his address. He's on Lois oh, Greenville, right? Right. Oh, by Lower, okay. Okay. In Greenville. Okay. Great. So all the way down on Lower Greenville. Though. He's 1733 Greenville Avenue. It, it, it's, I vary between eggs over easy with wheat toast and bacon, or I sometimes will get the Greek omelet and I'll have them add uh, grilled jalapenos inside. That's just spectacular. Um, everything is fresh, but it's also prepared on a griddle the way you like it. His cheeseburgers are hands down the best cheeseburgers in Dallas. He makes a Philly cheesesteak that's better than anything I've ever had in Philadelphia. I'm telling you, this, this place is, this is it. This is the place. Wow, that's uh, that's high praise. That's great. So yeah. uh, let's move over to the next C, which is customization. And I love this C. Yeah, this is my favorite C because up until a couple of years ago, customization was extraordinarily difficult to deliver, particularly in a product environment. Now you know you have the the, the Burger King have it your way ad campaign. So fine, I can customize my Whopper, but that's not really enough to build a ton of customer loyalty. Customization now for almost any product or service that you sell because of technology has never been easier. And so what I talk about in this chapter is you don't have to provide true customization. You don't have to be a bespoke tailor on Savile Row, uh, but you have to provide enough choices that you give the illusion of customization is the way that I refer to it. But you can build a lot of customer loyalty and you can retain relationships with customers if they feel like they are customizing their product or their experience in some way. That's what that chapter is about. Joel Bynes joining us. In our next segment, he talks curation with customers. When Texas Business Minds continues. At Texas Mutual Insurance Company, we celebrate the workers who keep your business growing strong. They're a vital part of our community, and we're proud to be on the job with 1.5 million of them every day. More at TexasMutual.com slash on the job. Continuing our conversation as Dallas Business Journal Managing Editor Rob Schneider breaks down the Meatail Economy with author Joel Bynes. 
Now, uh, curation was was the next on that list. Talk about that and, and how that has changed. Well, curation is um, is <laughs> sort of in the eye of the beholder. At the highest level, what I say about curation is a curator needs to choose. A curator cannot be all things to all people, but needs to create an environment so that the loyal me's feel like that store or that site or that location or that experience was designed just for them. They walk in and they think, oh man, this this business understands me. This person understands me. And I tell some, I think, funny stories about how curators, it doesn't necessarily mean unctuous customer service. Some curators are are quite rude, as a matter of fact. And I have a I have a wonderful story, I think, in the book about shopping in Cambridge, Massachusetts in the in the mid-90s and and um the relationship we've retained with this woman who runs a boutique up there. But anyway, um that's what curation is all about. And again, to put it in the in the Dallas context, you know, one of the best curators for a long, long time was a a, a retail store called 4510. Um, and now it's now, now Brian started something called the conservatory, which is uh, sort of a rebirth of that idea of curation. But if you talk to people who were loyal 4510 customers years ago, and now are conservatory customers, they will all say the same thing, which is, which is, it feels like the products that he's choosing are chosen just for you, which obviously is not the case, but that's how they build their community around them. So, um, their, you know, community of consumers around them. And then the final C is community. So community, again, a little bit like convenience, it's fairly easy to define. It's people who have an affiliation for something or someone. And just like convenience, the important part of the community chapter is the watch out, which is if you are going to build relationships with consumers by creating a community, you have to be relentless about not doing anything that violates the standards or norms or beliefs of the community. And you have to hold yourself accountable because communities are very, very difficult to build. They take a long time to build, but they can be destroyed in an instant with a bad decision or a non-decision and so forth. And so that's the caution I provide in the community chapter and obviously use several examples there as well. You have a really cool chapter in there, what to do on Monday morning as advice for anybody that wants to take some action steps from this. Right. So I don't think we are going backwards from here. I think that because I think this was a revolution, I don't think there is any going back. I think the customers have stormed the castle. They like it in there and they're not going back. So I think it will be many generations before something else comes along and someone will write a book about it that redefines the relationship again. For me, you know, if I'm when I'm when I'm dreaming, what I want is I want for the the word metail to enter the vocabulary of consumer businesses. I want people because to me it so perfectly sums up the situation and it so perfectly sums up what's happened here. And so that's that's my goal for the book. This is this is truly a book that I wrote because I have a passion for the consumer economy. The consumer economy is incredibly important to not just the United States economy but the worldwide economy in terms of employment and and GDP and many many other things. 
And I just want people that are living in that world to understand that their jobs are harder now. If you think back 25, 30 years, uh, I won't insult anybody that's listening to this by accusing them of being around then. But if you were, you remember people used to hold these merchant princes, and I'm sorry, it's a sexist term, but that's what they were called. For the most part, they were men. Um, and they used to hold them on pedestals. They were heroes, these people that started these businesses. And they were very, very smart. And they were very, very talented. And they had great ideas. But at the end of the day, they also had the power over the consumer. And, and there was a sense that they knew best, but they didn't know best. It was just that the consumer didn't have any way to tell them that. And today, it is so easy for the consumer to not only uh, express opinions about things, but, but you know, I tell the story of Lolly Wally Doodle in the book, and I don't want to spoil it, but this is a woman who couldn't find what she wanted, then found manufacturers of the product that she wanted, set herself up on a website, which has never been easier than before, and created an actual company and now competes against the people who weren't serving her the way she wanted to be served. It's that easy in today's economy. And when we're living in that type of an environment, the things that we used to do as consumer executives will simply no longer work. And that's what the book is for. And that's what I hope people take away from the book. From a consumer standpoint, if there's one thing you'd want people to get from you today, and maybe they're not necessarily reading the book, what would be the most important thing that you'd offer up for consumers? Well, I think the consumer, any consumer that's listening to this or, or happens to pick up the book and, and thinks about it, not from the business end, but from the consumer end, I think what I'm saying will really resonate. And so all I would say to consumers is don't let the businesses off the hook. Make these companies change to serve you the way that you want to be served. Because the faster we rise up as consumers and we recognize our power, the faster the industry will change. And that will be good because the transition from the old way to the me-tail economy, that's going to be bumpy. And the faster we get through that, the better. Who are the companies out there, big and small, that you think are doing it right? And they don't necessarily have to be local to Dallas, Fort Worth, but um, who are the companies out there that are, even in the last couple of years, have, have made changes and are doing it right? Well, uh, so I give I give lots and lots and lots of examples of companies that are doing it well in the book. If I had to pick just one, I would say Target is the best example. And I spend a lot of time talking about why Target is the best example. But just in terms of the executive summary, the, mm-hmm. the CEO of Target essentially went completely against the grain of what all of the smart analysts were telling Target to do starting about a decade ago. And, um, you know, there's a lot of really good stuff in the book about it. And it was all geared up toward what was coming, which was this me-centric quantum consumer. And they've done a really brilliant job of centering their entire business strategy and their entire investment strategy from the consumer backwards. Virtually everything that they've done, they've done from the consumer backwards and it's paid off for them. So I would say that's probably one example. Who's doing it badly and what are they doing that is doing badly? You know, what are what are oh, the, the companies that are that are doing it the wrong way? So I get that question a lot, and I'll say two things about it. The first thing is most people expect 
that I wouldn't answer that question. Mm -hmm. But I do answer that question. And uh, again, unlike business books, I actually name names in this book. So I, there's a lot of companies in the book where I give examples of ways that they're not being me-centric and they're not thinking about the me-tail economy. I don't like talking about them publicly. And this isn't a by the book plea. It's just, it's not, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing to write a book about it. It's another thing to be talking about that, that out loud. But the, the second point, the way that I answer this question is just step back and think as a consumer and think about how many times from how many places in how many ways you have been disappointed. And that's your answer. That's the answer to who's not doing a good job in the retail economy. So, Joel, uh, if people want to find the book, where can they find it? Listeners can find the book on any of the online platforms, any of the offline media. My favorite local curator is a bookstore called Interabang. I would highly recommend picking it up in person there. Um, the book, as uh, we've talked about, is all about the consumer. So it's for business people, but it's also for consumers themselves. And uh, I hope you run out and get a copy of The Metail Economy. Thanks to Metail Economy author Joel Bynes, Managing Director at Alex Partners, for joining us. And thank you for downloading Texas Business Minds, presented by the Texas Business Journals. And brought to you by Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping companies build a stronger, safer Texas. Texas.